I have found that Christians have not always done a good job in interpreting the Old Testament text regarding the coming Messiah figure. Chances are you may have also misinterpreted some of the prophecies regarding Jesus as a Messiah. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am William Dyer, and this is Dyer Conversations. All right, so welcome to another podcast episode here at Dyer Conversations. What we're doing now is moving into a series on the Messiah figure in the Old Testament or the prophecies regarding the coming Messiah. And the reason why I'm doing this is I have found that, myself included, Christians have done um, not that great of a job at interpreting the text in the Old Testament regarding the coming Messiah. There's been a lot of ripping things out of context, misunderstanding things, misapplying them to Jesus, um, and just a lot of really bad proof texting. Um, So we're going to go through a series where we're going to hit some of the main text that speak of the coming Messiah figure and dive into them and see exactly what they are referring to so we can get a better grasp of how the early church understood these texts. Now, one of the first things we need to understand is the actual term Messiah. So that term is used uh, 39 times in the Old Testament, and it means anointed. When we think about anointed, in the Old Testament, this noun was applied to three offices, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Now, what you will find is that these offices are distinct for the most part in the Old Testament. However, as the story of the Old Testament progresses, you will have some figures who uh, qualify for both offices, where they might be a prophet and a king, or they might be a priest and a prophet. But nobody holds all three offices. And with this sort of uh, narrative that's building in the Old Testament, on top of some of the texts that we're going to actually look at, you will realize that there's a foreshadowing here of the Messiah figure who's going to bring all three of those offices together. So he will be the prophet, the priest, and the king, the ultimate one. Now, as we look into this series, we want to remember a couple of key principles, a couple of core um, things to keep in mind, and that is this. The, the Old Testament is a narrative, and this narrative builds. Uh, it gets the plot thickens, if you will. So as you go through the Old Testament, you have to realize that you will get certain statements by God through um, whether it be Moses or Samuel or one of the Old Testament uh, prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those guys. You will get statements that may be vague or general or kind of broad. But then those are going to be built upon as the Old Testament narrative continues to where when you get to the end of the Old Testament and you're about to have the New Testament start, you're going to see that these ideas, these motifs, if you will, are very robust at that point. But when you are first introduced to them, they're not as um, not as robust. So remember that, that the content, you got these core ideas, but then the content is going to continue to grow as we go through the Old Testament. Now, one of the things you're going to um, run into a lot as you, you know, look at, hey, is Jesus the Messiah figure or not? You'll see these things on the internet or blogs or maybe somebody else is doing a podcast about it. And they'll talk about, oh, there's like 500 plus prophecies about Jesus being the Messiah. That's kind of misleading, honestly. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian. I fully believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
However, these concepts of, hey, there's 500 plus prophecies about Jesus being the Messiah, it's misleading because those prophecies kind of fit into different categories. And this is where the misinterpretation begins, is people always tend to think when they first start studying the Bible that there's always this one-to-one parallel between the Old Testament text and how the New Testament relates it to Jesus. And um, you'll see what I mean by that as, as I give you a couple examples here. So we need to account for the fact that the New Testament uses the Old Testament text in different ways to talk about Jesus. Um, and more on that here in just a second. Another thing to keep in mind is that we, when we look at the Old Testament text and we run into a prophecy you know, of the Messiah coming or the Messiah's kingdom that is going to be arriving, we have to understand that a lot of these texts have temporal fulfillments. Um, again, we'll see this as we go through that, uh, you know, maybe Isaiah is talking to a king and he gives a prophecy and that prophecy has a temporal fulfillment for that king. However, there's an ultimate fulfillment down the road and that is in the Messiah figure when he brings his kingdom. Again, all this is going to be uh, built upon as we get into these texts more in depth. Now, there's three different types of prophecies in the Old Testament. This is where I said that people often just think there's one type. You have an Old Testament statement, and then it's applied in the New Testament, a one-to-one parallel to Jesus. And it doesn't always work out that way. So the first way a prophecy works is the direct method. That, That exact method, yes, sometimes it actually does work out that way. There's a direct prophecy about Jesus being the Messiah or who the Messiah figure is. So let me give you an example of that. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, but as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, this is applied in the New Testament to Jesus, and it is literally a direct prophecy. There was not a temporal fulfillment of it. There was not an original context in which it fit into. It was a direct prophecy where the Old Testament author gets a glimpse into the future, into the days of the arrival of the Messiah figure and the arrival of his kingdom. He gets a direct kind of like vision of it or, you know, dream or whatever it is. He gets a direct look at that. And he says, here's what's going to happen. And for Micah here in chapter 5, he's letting the town of Bethlehem know, hey, you are the town from which this Messiah figure is going to come from. Most people think that all prophecies work that way, but that's not the case. And this is why you get these exaggerations of, hey, there's 500 plus prophecies about Jesus being the Messiah. Um, Well, it depends on what you mean by how they're fulfilled. So the second way that prophecies are used are uh, typologically. Now, this is best seen, in my opinion, in the tabernacle. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament uh, expounds upon this a lot. We're not going to get into that um, in this study, but I just want you to be aware that sometimes prophecies are filled in this um, type, anti-type. Now, the type would be the original Old Testament thing, person, you know, object, and the anti-type would be how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. So, for example, the book of Hebrews, again, lays this out very specifically for us with the tabernacle. You have the holiest of holy places inside the tabernacle. What does that represent? Well, that represents where the 
glory of God resides, the Shekinah glory, the Old Testament calls it. And so we see there that this building, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, is supposed to be kind of like a type of a lot of New Testament um, realities. You have the table of showbread, where the priests would go and they would commune with God every week. Hmm, New Testament communion, where we take it, the saints commune with God. You have the lampstand, which is the only light in the tabernacle, and the Bible says that the Word of God is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. You have the sacrifice, by which we have to take the blood to the altar so that we can be cleansed to approach the presence of God. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice that cleanses us from sin so we can have access to the presence of God. So what I mean here is you have prophecies in the Old Testament that aren't necessarily a direct one-to-one correlation, but they are type, anti-type. You see a sort of shadow and the fulfillment of that shadow in the New Testament. If you want to study that more, you want to get into what's called typology, but that's not necessarily what we're going to get into here in this study. Now, the third way that prophecies in the Old Testament work are what's called applications of principles. Now, this is so important because this is where people completely rip things out of context and misapply and call something a prophecy. And when somebody else hears, oh, that's a prophecy, they're thinking it's a direct one-to-one parallel, when really it's not a it's not a direct parallel at all. It's more of an application of a principle. So what do I mean by that? You'll see this. Uh, Matthew uses a text from the Old Testament, Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 2, verse 15. It's when um, you have Jesus as a baby, and you have Joseph and Mary. They take him down to Egypt because, you know, Herod's kind of going crazy, and he's like, you know, killing all the babies in the town, so they're going to get out of there. They're going to flee. They're going to go down into Egypt to be safe down there for a while. And it says there that he remained there, talking about um, Joseph and Jesus and Mary, he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, quote, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now that, you know, what was spoken through the prophet comes from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. And here in Hosea, the original text says, when Israel was a youth, I, talking about God, loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And so what people will do, what Christians will do, is they'll look at this and go, ah, look, there's a direct prophecy in Hosea that says that the Messiah figure is going gonna to come out of Egypt. That's not what Matthew's doing here. That's not the context of the Gospel of Matthew, and that's not how Hosea was actually using that um, verse in his book. So what is Matthew doing here? What Matthew is doing is he is saying, look, in the book of Hosea, God was reminding the people that you remember when I called you as a nation out of Egypt and I protected you, I guided you, I took your enemies and I made sure that they didn't attack you, they didn't destroy you. You were like um, a son to me. So I, the father, guided you out of Egypt and brought you to the land. That's what Hosea is reminding the people of Israel about. So they can take, um, you know, kind of hope. They can remember, yeah, yeah, God is one who we can trust. That's what Hosea is doing. He's not talking at all about a future Messiah figure. So why does Matthew say this was fulfilled? Why is he saying it's a prophecy? Because what Matthew is doing is he's saying this. You remember Hosea did that? 
Remember Hosea said that to the nation of Israel to give them hope, to give them courage to trust in God? He goes, well, look what God did with Jesus. He did the same thing. He protected him like a son. He you know, guided him down to Egypt and he guided him out of Egypt so this uh, tyrannical king Herod wouldn't kill him as a baby. The same thing that God did in the Old Testament by reminding Israel that he's a God whom they can trust is the same thing he's doing now. The principle carries over. It's not a direct prophecy about what's going to happen to the Messiah. It's only saying the same sort of principle that was working back there in Hosea is the same principle that's happening here. God is a God who we can trust to protect his people. So three ways that the Old Testament is used in the New Testament. You have direct, you know, one-to-one correlations. This is the direct prophecy. You have the typological sort of type, antitype, and then you have the principle. That is, the same sort of thing that happened there is now happening here. Okay, so now what we want to get into is an actual the actual first prophecy, if you will, of this Messiah figure coming into the world. And it actually comes at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. To give you a little bit of context here, you have the creation of the world in Genesis 1 and 2. You have mankind created and God gives them all sorts of freedom. And then he tells them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What do they do? They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They bring sin into the world and death comes through sin. And then God begins to explain to them in the early uh, parts of chapter 3 all the consequences, um, you know, not all, but most of the consequences that are going to be coming because of sin. And he talks about you're going to have pain in childbirth, you're going to have to toil by the sweat of your brown, thorns and thistles, and there's going to be, you know, like um, some issues between the husband and wife. There's all these things that are going to be going on now. The world is not going to be the same, all right? That's what God's going to try to uh, bring to their attention. And in the midst of this, he talks to Adam, he talks to Eve, and then he begins to address the serpent, the one who actually um, deceived Eve. And he tells him this in chapter 3, verse 15, talking to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, as we sit uh, at this stage in redemptive history, you know, all the way after Jesus has come and died on the cross, we have a very long history of the um, Christians and even Jews understanding this as being a prophecy about the Messiah. That's why this verse is actually called the Proto-Evangelum or Proto-Gospel. That is the gospel preached beforehand, before Jesus actually arrived on scene, because it is the very first text. It gives us a glimpse into the promise of God not to abandon humanity, but his plan to actually redeem humanity from our choices of sin and rebellion. So we see here that there is a figure called the seed. Notice again, if you look at this text more clearly, that there's going to be strife between Satan and the woman. And then it says between your seed, Satan, and her seed, but then it's you see this, there's a switch to the singular. That's so important. It says, he, he shall bruise you on the head. Who's the he? The seed of the woman. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, one question I always ask people is, hey, you know, if you get hit in the heel, is that going to kill you? 
I mean, there's a really strong chance you're going to survive from a strike to the heel. But if you get cracked in the head, the idea here is when you get hit in the head, you're out. You're done, right? So what God is saying to Satan is, I'm going to send a seed of the woman. It's going to be a male child. And when he comes into the world, you're going to injure him, but he's going to destroy you. And it's interesting, when Eve has her firstborn, she names him Cain. And there's an explanatory phrase here where she says, I have received a male child, even the Lord. So some have speculated, like, is she thinking that her first male son is the seed that's going to come into the world to save all of mankind? Now, that's a little bit of speculation. I think there's, there is something there, maybe in Eve's mind, but... That's kind of a side point. I just want to throw that out there for you. What we do see here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is the very first promise. And remember how I said everything's going to kind of start to build upon itself and become more and more robust. Well, right now, all we want to mark down is that there is a seed coming from Eve. It's going to be a male child. And this male child is going to be one who will be injured by Satan, but he will ultimately destroy Satan. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Don't forget to come back and check out the rest of the episodes as we go through the Old Testament and look at the major prophecies about this Messiah figure and his kingdom that are going to come into the world to redeem mankind. And until next time, continue to seek the truth and you will find it.